0: is brought to you by Bayer and Federated Insurance.
1: Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast the show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over one million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn Do Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series, titled A Painter's Dream, Jason Paris will be discussing what makes the painting industry so attractive to ambitious entrepreneurs and how painting company owners can capitalize on current and future opportunities. It is a four-part series. In episode one, the previous episode, we discussed macroeconomic trends and how the ebbs and flows of the economy should affect decision-making and planning within your painting company. In episode two, this episode, Jason will dive into the influx of young talent into the industry and what that means for all painting company owners. In episode three, Jason will outline what you need to do in order to make your painting company sellable, allowing you the option for a lucrative exit. And in the final episode, episode four, Jason will elaborate on his philosophies of business and how they apply to you and your painting company. If you want to ask Jason questions related to anything in this podcast series, you can do so in our exclusive Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast Forum on Facebook. Just search for Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast Forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. Again, that URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash painter marketing mastermind there you can ask jason questions directly by tagging him with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular painting company jason is the chair of the board of directors of the pca and founder of paris painting the most successful painting company that painter marketing pros has worked with to date jason thank you for returning to the show for the second episode oh
0: wow that was an awful it's a good intro
1: it it takes a while you know it takes a while there's a lot to convey but thanks for coming back man
0: absolutely man absolutely excited
1: so, here we are discussing, as you put it, the Wild West gets settled.
0: Oh, okay. That's the tagline.
1: That That's the tagline. The Wild West gets settled. Let's yeah.
0: discuss. Yeah. So, it's kind of good. Let's talk about where we've been, right? So, uh, the industry has been the Wild West, right? What's called that? And that's not novel for industries, right? Uh, many industries go through their maturity their iterations, their evolutions, right? Painting is no different. And they'll probably go through several of those in the next hundreds of years, right? Whatever you want to call it. Uh, this also happens to geographies, right? And that's where kind of the metaphor of the Wild West gets settled, I think is uh, helpful to get this point across, right? So talk about where we've been. Uh, the Wild West is, it's wild and it's westward, right? Uh, so we're talking about US geography, the colonies on the East get settled right, that's where most of the population is. And it's the adventurers, the explorers, uh, the wildcats, the cowboys that are moving west, right. as they move west, they're in kind of uncharted terrain, there's no playbook, there's no like uh, secret formula for how to make this work. Uh, And they're not doing things necessarily at scale, right. So you've got individual homesteaders that are rough and tumble cowboys. Uh, They're good at pretty much everything. You know, they can figure out how to rip a tooth out if they need to, so they can't play their own dentist. you know, they can obviously farm, uh, they can raise cattle, right? All those things, all those things that make it really tough to, to settle the land. Now, what eventually happens to the wild west? Well, eventually the wild west becomes less wild, right? So you've got these kind of cowboys, these settlers that come in and uh, basically settle the land, right? At this point, you have maybe a, an environment that's less rough and tumble. There's a little bit more of uh, certainty of what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and now you can get individuals who are more specialists Um, and and I'd say like sophisticated in a specialist area to come in and begin to um, create a lot of value in geographical area, right? And the reason that can now happen is those are very rare to have crossover skill sets, right? So it's not not impossible, it's not never, but it's super rare to have an individual that's rough and tumble like a cowboy, uh, but also super hyper-specialized and sophisticated in a very niche area, right? Usually you have uh, like an accountant, someone's really, really good at accounting, uh, they're also not a generalist who can do everything. And has, you know, cowboy thick skin, uh, can can weather all the elements, right? They're kind of nerdy. They have glasses. Uh, and they like their little white collar button up shirt, right? So it's kind of where we've been. I think that's yeah. all the healthy start there, because we're going to talk about young talent coming into the industry, what that influx means or the effects uh, for those that are coming in, but also those that are existing and those that are looking to exit. And I think it's good to first go back kind of where we've been over the last 20, 30 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, this idea of kind of the, the Jack of all trades, you know, the cowboy in this instance kind of does everything playing his own dentist, um, and then having to specialize. I'm curious, are the new talent, are these, the the guys in the, with the tie and the, and the button down shirt and the accountants Who, who's the accountant here?
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a uh, sophisticated business talent right? And so uh, if you are a a high level business talent, I don't know why you would have gotten into painting over the last 20, 30 years. Uh, You know, on a good day, you're building a nice lifestyle business, but there's so many other options uh, to earn a good income, and have a nice lifestyle that have much more prestige, right? So it's not like, it's not like a a big magical mystery on why there hasn't been top talent. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There's some very sophisticated painting businesses out there, uh, but there's not a lot. Most of the industry is very unsophisticated, uh, very fragmented, uh, not serving the client well. I think we talked about this in our previous discussions. Uh, Most clients are not serviced well when it comes to a professional, any contractor, right? They're hard to find and and they don't don't consume enough of the market demand to uh, maybe push out or mitigate uh, the poorly run companies, right? Those poorly run companies are allowed to thrive, exist, survive. Uh, not because of their own excellence, but because of the lack of volume that sophistication is taking up. Um, but yeah, high level business talent. I would just say, maybe this is another point. It's a lot easier <laughs> to, uh, scale and stabilize the painting businesses now than it was 20 or 30 years ago. Right. And so, uh, if, if I don't know how many people listen to the podcast, but, uh, there are like entrenched in the industry, but if you started your company 30 years ago, uh, you had a lot harder time, right? Kids, kids these days are lazier. Uh, they do have it easier. Uh, that just that, is that, that's, that's what—that's like progression of life, right? People yeah. hopefully have it easier every generation. Uh, they have their own kind of novelties and challenges as well. But 30 years ago, you didn't have the access to information that we have now, right? And I'd call that from a technical side, right? Everyone's kind of making up their own what works. Yeah. Uh, but the prevalence of standards throughout the industry were not uniform. Right, you didn't have like, well, this is what everybody agrees that this is a finished surface, and we can all agree on that, right? You're gonna have to be like a tough cowboy, stand up for yourself, have that skill set and those competencies, say like, no, this is complete, this is this is this is uh, acceptable, and here's why. Right, everyone's kind of doing that on their own in their own little islands. Uh, You know, how do you train someone? What's the what's the most novel, uh, most effective combination of products to achieve a certain result? Those was much more siloed 30 years ago. Obviously the internet has that, internet would be like a through line through all these elements of why it's a lot easier. Um, but yeah, there's there's like the technical information, then there's the practical information of how you scale a business, what do comp structures look like, uh, what's, a, what's a typical org chart look like at the different scales of a business. Uh, that's like there for anybody right now, Yeah, right? So the PCA or a coaching entity or any of the multitude of Facebook groups or social media groups that are out there. Uh, if you're like curious, how do I fairly compensate a, you know, a sales rep in my painting company? That's not a mystery box that you have to be a cowboy at. Right? Yeah. You don't have to make the mistakes. You don't have to have the tough skin. It's kind of like here's the template for you, and that just wasn't there 20, 30 years ago. It's a lot easier nowadays. Uh, I'd say also something that's novel nowadays is people have a lot more camaraderie and community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had put a question out to your Facebook group of, of people who want to ask a question and. And call it anecdotal, uh, painters of previous generations uh, are a lot more standoffish when it comes to yep. uh, cooperation, as, as I've coined it, right? Um, kind of like that person, if they're successful, that takes food off of my plate. Right now, in, in, in any metro market, those numbers just don't play out. I'd say most rural markets, probably doesn't play out super strongly as well. The market is so large and businesses are so fragmented. Your only competition is your ability to execute your business model, right? It's not like if that painting company as well, I do poorly. Uh, it's such a blue ocean when the industry as we sit here in 2022 that that's not the prime. Comp- competing against others is not the primary focus of a company that's successful. The primary focus is how well do you execute your systems and your business model. Uh, yep. But that camaraderie, that community, was not there 20, 30 years ago. Nowadays, it's very prevalent. So, 20, 30 years ago, you had to be a tough cowboy mentally because right? it's very lonely at the top it's very lonely to be entrepreneur uh it's very just it just eats away your psyche when you don't know if what you're doing is right or wrong <laughs> most of the people in your circles can't relate to you because they're not entrepreneurial and you are and you're taking these risks, your highs and lows and all those things now you don't have to have that thick skin that a cowboy would have <laughs> that camaraderie that community is available through you to you through events, uh the pca uh, social media groups, local gatherings that have been popping up over the last two years, right? Uh, that is very different. And that's just going to, you could say it's twofold. One, it attracts a different type of individual, uh, but also allows the attraction of individuals that maybe wouldn't have um, been allowed to survive, much less thrive in the past. Um, sure. Two other things that I think are, are different to make it easier for kids nowadays, uh, technology tools, right? So we talk about scaling and stabilizing the painting of a you know, that's hard to do off of Beeper and, uh, and a mobile phone. Not even a mobile phone, a landline, right? So how do you do that? How do you, how do you have real-time communication? Uh, the level of sophistication that people have access to now is just, it's a lot easier to scale your company right now than it was 20, 30 years ago. The, the sure. technology is just so sophisticated, and that's real-time communication, communication flow, uh, reporting to make real-time managerial decisions. Um, that's just a lot different than it is right now. Last item I would say uh, that is both uh, attracting different talents, but also allowing different talent to survive, would uh, be consumer preferences. And this is gonna be anecdotal as well, but it feels like, I don't know, you could call it the, the, the loss of community in America, right? The suburban, suburban vacation of, uh, of the US, uh, but there's consumer preferences. You know, They don't have to know uh, the deep personal history of everybody that's on a job site is becoming much more transactional and much less relational. Yeah, uh, Especially the ability for consumers to, um, have a product that is scalable versus, uh, having a demand preference that necessitates niching down, what you're able to offer as a service. Uh, I think that makes it easier for people these days as well to scale and stabilize their company.
1: True. Sure. Yeah. I actually have a, um, a round table that I'm conducting later today with the PCA with a nice job and reputation management and reviews. And I think it ties into kind of what you're talking about there. Um, you know, it's all about, okay, who, who has the best reviews? All right, I'll go with you. It's not, it's not as much focus. There's still some in terms of trust and, and everything, but it's not as much focus as you've been a, a neighborhood painting company for X, Y, or Z years. They just want to know you're going to produce the results. You're going to guarantee your work. People are happy. And, and you, you know, you, you're going to do it for a way that's not going to absolutely destroy their budget. Right. yeah think
0: like there's a little bit of consumer preference there's also just market general market conditions so um you know the, the the gap between supply and demand is so high right now that uh the novel value prop like you don't have it's not bad uh like i said over the last two years 10 years you know firms like yours have been pretty useless
1: uh Thanks. Hey, i love man i love these podcast interviews man they're just they're such a pick-me-up for me
0: it's just like why would you spend time doing a story brand when that's not your living factor uh yeah. so like companies are like going through these large like story brand exercises and, and really figuring out all that you know marketing stuff. Uh, your I'll tell you your value prop as a painting company over the last 10 years. Uh, you show up and you say I paint. All right, that's yeah. your value prop. If you yeah. show up and say I paint, uh, that's what that's what you need to do to win over the last 10 years. Yeah. And, and gosh, we were spoiled <laughs> and we have been spoiled. And anybody started a painting company in the last 10 years, it's like how how could you not have succeeded uh, quite frankly. So I think that's something that we'll look back on in the decades to come and say, what a novel time in history that was, uh, where your value prop truly was I paint and you could just dominate the market just by being able to execute operationally, um, you know, do the marketing, but but that was not a limiting factor for, for most painting companies. Uh, yeah. Now, I right, always tear you down to, to, to bring you back up. Now, yeah. looking forward to the next 10 years, hopefully that's different, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, we have some macroeconomic trends that we talked about in the last episode uh, that are real. Some of them are anecdotal, but there are like the hard numbers of consumer self-confidence, interest rate, and inflation. Those are real numbers that, that affect behavior. Um, and then we might be at a low point of talent in the industry. right? And uh, so the supply side, so demand's never been higher. That's starting to shift. Supply has never been lower. Uh, my hypothesis is that that will shift. Um, those two things then make it a little bit. To where a firm like yours has
1: actual value in the marketplace,
0: and awesome, can sleep at awesome. night knowing that what you're doing is helpful to companies, not just selling what they
1: want to hear. Might have some value. All right, that's what I like to hear. Step in the right direction. Um, so I want to I want to kind of back up to what you talked about with with why there hasn't already been this influx of talent. You know, you mentioned that there are a lot of smart business people uh, in the country. Why up until now, especially with such a supply-demand gap over the past 10 years, why do you think that more sophisticated business people did not enter the painting industry?
0: Yeah. I guess I should be careful here. I don't want to make this like a bashing of if you're a painter today, you're an idiot. And uh there are some
1: there are some very sophisticated painters, but most of the whole
0: podcast are the cream of the crop. Uh it's just there's a reality of if I go to a if I went to a cocktail party, which is hilarious because I would never do that, uh, I went to a cocktail party and said yeah i own a little painting company uh, i own a painting company what do people think about you immediately they're like i think really you're bad. paying they really think you're not on welfare uh <laughs> that's so great that you don't have to pass a drug test and and you can still provide for yourself like these are all great things uh people think that for a reason because it's the state of the industry today right sure. and i'm not talking to your audience i'm not talking to uh the guy in his 40s and 50s and it's an unsuccessful company and and, and providing phenomenal service to both his employees his clients and the business is profitable right i think some of those guys might hear what i'm saying or gals could hear what i'm saying and say wow jason uh, is really talking down to us that's not what i'm doing so i just want to be careful with that uh, but yeah why is talent not been driven in when there's that supply and demand gap which is code language for profit right so anytime any entrepreneur you know op- opportunity arises when there's a supply and demand gap right that's right. Code, code for profit um handful of things one top level talent hasn't been tough enough, right? For all the things I've listed, they they wouldn't have been able to make it without access to information, access to community and camaraderie, the technology tools that are in place now consumer some that are driving things, right? So, uh, you know, the, the specialized talent uh, could certainly try to run a painting company, uh, but they would have failed, right? Because they're not tough like a cowboy. You don't have to be tough like a cowboy anymore. I think that's one major driver. Um, but I think that's been changing, like over the past five, 10 years, right? And, and so I think there will be a, a push of talent into the industry. Why hasn't that happened overnight? Part of that's uh, societal pressure, right? So if you're um, if you're a, a senior in college and about to graduate, you're at the Christmas party uh, with, with your cousins and family and whatnot, and you say, yeah, I'm look, really looking forward to graduating and starting a, a painting company. Um, you know, when, when your cousin, Mary Sue, says, yeah, I'm looking to graduate and become a, a, a pixel pusher at a XYZ talented. I don't know, some what do people get to, what do kids do? They graduate into these tech jobs that aren't real. Uh though yeah. that, has, that has much more societal prestige uh than the get you know the hard work of a painting company. So I think societal pressure has been a real thing. Um but I think a lot of it has been it just when it worked right uh painting is a tough tough business it's becoming less and less tough of those four key elements that I listed out, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think dentists and accountants and lawyers would have gone the wild west either, right? Yeah, they would have gotten out in there and and they would have gotten sunburned and, and been toast for three days. Like, oh, you know, I, I, my sun is burnt or my skin is burnt. Uh, I can't I can't plow the land today, right? Or I went out there and plowed and I pulled a hammy and uh, now I'm done, so right. Whereas the cowboy gets out there, they've got thick skin. uh, They're workhorses. You know, they they have that uh, Presbyterian work ethic. Uh, They just get out there and grind every single day. And uh, you know, those people do have to lead the way. And the novelty of generational stacking is over time, uh, the micro improvements are made until it just becomes a much more fertile land. It's a much more softer uh, community that allows the specialists to come in. So, so you just, think I, I,
1: you you think that there has th- that some specialists and 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 people like that have come in, but it sounds to me like you foresee a big influx maybe in the next five or ten years. Is that kind of how you're seeing this?
0: Yeah. Well, just oh, there's two points to that. One, uh, I would just say over the last three years, I think you and I have both met individuals that have stepped in, and these yep. are guys that are in their uh, guys and gals, that are in their mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties, yep. and they've accomplished like. What even five ten years ago would have been like wow that's that's amazing right yeah and so i think uh you know whatever you call your benchmark i'd say like 10 years ago you know if you were a one or two million dollar company, it was like holy cow i'm talking yeah. residential people it's like holy cow that that person is like a monster um, right now that's like you're one year two yeah. you right now yeah it's, it's, so not, it's not everybody easy. i'm not trying to down it's not a numbers it's not like a volume game so i'm not trying to talk to anybody but i'm just saying the incidence of uh, quickly rising companies uh, through young adopters is increasing, right? And I'd say whether well, that's anecdotal uh, or I would say it's stats driven, uh, I'm sure it could be. That's uh, what we're starting to see. So that, that's part of it. Um, I would also just say this is, this is not a novel concept. This certainly has been happening uh, in different areas of the economy. So the ones I always go back to is farming was a very, very tough business, right? For a long, long, long time. Now it's driven by actuaries, right? It's basically an insurance game and it's a big churn and it's like, uh, basically leveraging cash, uh, to build the infrastructure and then the insurance is cast down on it. Um, uh, the Cowboys, the, the farmers of today are a lot different than the farmers of, of decades past, let's put it that way. Uh, same yeah. thing as brewing, right? So you think about the MBA grad, right? Think about an MBA grad, they're, they're coming from, coming out of, uh, Penn, Penn state, uh, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to be a farmer. That actually makes sense. Right. So you can use those skill sets in the farming industry now and, and generate multi-million dollars worth of wealth. Right. Uh, you say the same thing with brewery, becoming a brewer now, like typically decades, generations past. If you said, I'm about to graduate, uh, you know, from Michigan State wherever, and, and I've got my MBA and I'm going to start a brewery. You're like, wow, you're really uh, have settled in life. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an odd choice. Uh, now it's like, oh, well, that makes sense, right? Because there's just this paradigm of you can st- you can build a brewery, uh, set it up to a point, and then either partner with or merge with, do an do an M and A, or completely liquidate to a larger uh, larger corporation, larger company. That's like a, that's a common practice. I'm trying to see that a little bit in HVAC or the license trades, as you call it. Yeah. So again, just think about that MBA grad sitting down at, at Thanksgiving dinner. It's Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm going to be starting a uh, you know a, a um, electrical company an hvac company a plumbing company you know people are like oh that makes sense understand. Right? i can see why you do that uh, those are good businesses sophisticated businesses your skill sets will cross over makes sure sense, right painting isn't quite there yet but it, it, i think it will be and it will start to be right i think we're kind of on the, the tip of that spear uh driving forward
1: yeah yeah so i want to so so like you mentioned um i put up a post in the the facebook group where we yeah, have the forum discuss the podcast and you you answered uh, Zach Osterman's question about basically how how does this work with the old timers you know so to speak the guys who've been in the, in the industry for a long time how does collaboration coop uh, what did you call it compa Cooperation. I,
0: I started saying in uh, it was twenty eighteen and okay. I said it kind of hit wildfire I'm sure someone else has used that word in the past uh, yeah
1: you trademarked it though so it's the I'll, I'll trademark it for
0: like my sphere of influence but
1: okay. All right. So you've trademarked it. So another question that came through, and I want to address it because it's relevant to what you're talking about right now, um, was from Wim Monroe. It says, "What new technologies, equipment, and offered services are raising the bar in the industry?" So here's kind of where you're talking about, you know, how how things have changed. What's th- what things are differentiating the top players in the industry from the rest?
0: Okay. There's kind of two. So two questions there. Uh, like technology and tools and services uh that are raising the bar those are kind of like i can give you some like um broad topics which would be the four that I laid out so access information camaraderie communication camaraderie technology tools specific preferences. specifically uh you know whether you call an erp or a crm or uh estimating software that connects to a project management software which connects to an accounting software right all these software type tools uh are certainly raising the bar from that yeah. day, right and, and that's, you know, that's for real-time information transfer, transfer, uh, you know, accuracy and human error reduction, uh, archiving, retrieval speed, uh, you know, the ability to flow information from one, from one unit of the company to another, uh, those are all just markedly different than they were yeah. years ago. Um, and so that has certainly raised the bar of what is possible. Uh, but again, it kind of, that, that evolution of the tools that are available uh, now makes, certain people's skill sets, much more leverageable, right? So again, if, you, if you're if you a, a very uh, architect like, so, like process architecture type mind, uh, your, your skill sets would not have been that rewarded uh, 10, 20 years ago in painting, right? Sure. It's like, there's a lot of other industries where you would step into as like a nerd and be pretty successful. Uh, now you can come to painting and you've got all these tools that leverage your skill sets. Uh, that's pretty, new. that's pretty novel.
1: Building those systems. Yeah, building systems
0: that have, you know, they're just leveraged through technology. I'm not saying you can't build and operate systems off of paper. Uh, you know, there have been great painting companies that have existed that have been built over decades or generations. Um, just the speed that's happening right now, the level of reward for certain skill sets is high enough now that's going to start to draw that talent into the market and into the sure. industry. Services would be the same thing. So, you know, in the Wild West, you have to get to everything. You have a weak spot. It's going to be a hard detriment to company. Uh, you're going to have to recruit that internally. Um, as this industry continues to make sure you have more and more of these kind of services offerings, right? So just the proliferation of, of coaching companies in the painting space, uh, is large, right? Yeah. You, don't, you don't see this level of, uh, consultative or coaching services in like the dental practices, right? Cause they mostly know what they're doing at this point. Uh, either work, there's like a handful, it's mostly consolidated. Um, there's large holdings companies, like it's not a mystery, like a big mystery box, uh, but in painting, it's a big mystery box. People are starting to figure it out, and you just have like an odd amount of coaching uh, <laughs> services-based and and consultative type type companies. Um, yeah, and you know that, right? You're obviously competing in that space. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say, like if you are look like at your SWOT analysis, it's like, wow, the number of competitors that are like trying to do what you're what you're doing, what you have been doing, uh, you know, does not decrease every single year. Right. But that, that, I would say overall, that does help raise the, the standard of the industry, right? Cause now you can walk into a painting company, have some novel skill sets that typically weren't rewarded, but are rewarded now, have a blind spot and have a couple of options on how you solve that blind spot, right? One would be the search that are offered in the industry. Um, the second part of that question was, were the top players doing that's different from the rest? <clears throat> that's a wide base. Uh, I mean, I think the, the first answer would be they're world class at leveraging a team and utilizing a team of people as opposed to doing everything on their own. Right? So, that's the first thing that uh, you know, an owner operating, up owner operated painting company is, is triple, driven by, but also uh, governed or, or harnessed by the owner operator. And there's just a market difference, like a very, very tangible, philosophical, uh, results oriented <clears throat> difference than someone who is the business and someone who's leveraging a team of people uh, that becomes the business. Right. And so I'd say that's, that's what like the top players are doing. That's different is their, the business is not them. They're not the identity of the company. Uh, They are, there's a lot of, so many owner operators are just such phenomenal, talented, hardworking, gritty people that it's, it's a great use of their life to drive a company to a certain point. Right. So I don't want to minimize that. Uh, But they also become the governor limiting factor on how much that business can scale and grow. And that's right. what like the top players are doing. They're not. They're
1: not limiting their company. Right. Yeah. That was that actually ties in with something Scholar Stewart asked, um, which was it would be it would be good to hear about giving away your current job in the company to move on to the next bigger thing. Few companies ever get sales and project managers. Even fewer ever build leadership teams. What's the mindset? Is that hard? And how to pick the right people?
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of questions in there. Uh, but yes, it is hard. Right. And so I'd say you have to be pretty good at ego death, as I would call it. Right. Because, uh, you know, most painting companies, uh, are not creative people, right. They are like last name painting right, or first name painting or something like that. So to let go of that, uh, requires quite a bit of ego death. And that is hard. Um, anyone who's been through that, they're going to struggle with what do I do next? What am I good at? Uh, where do I fit in the world? I think entrepreneurs actually, Every, that's like a general human need: is where do I fit in the world, and where can I provide value, and how am I putting my talents to use? I think entrepreneurs feel that way a little more than the general population does, and so it can be especially hard for those individuals. So uh, that certainly is tough. Um, the mindset is one of ego death, I guess I call it. Uh, how do you pick the right team? Right, that's gonna be driven by your values and your and your vision. Right, and so. Um, you know, we're fans of traction over here. And so we'd like to think about our five key roles and five, five key people and five key seats. And once you achieve that, there's quite a bit of stability. I think that's like the first building block of stability in your company. Um, and then those individuals, you know, they have to you know, not just fit, but be drivers of the value values in your company. And then really, uh, you know, you, when you think about the vision three years was three, five, 10 year picture. Uh, those people have to be in those seats when you think about that vision. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So people is the hardest part of business, I think. Um, it's also the most important, you know, once you get to a certain level of scale. So I kind of want to wanna dive in. You know, we talked about why why this talent hasn't historically been super present um, in the painting industry, so wh- which has allowed a lot of people uh, who haven't really professionalized their business to succeed and thrive and remain in business. And now due to societal shifts, due to... Um, technology shifts that are empowering people who maybe are not cowboys um, can come in and actually succeed and, and rewarding those process oriented kind of nerdy type people who can actually implement the business systems. It's not going to reward them. So now we're going to see this influx of talent, right? These, these influx of new entrants uh, that have something new to offer and really are going to challenge a lot of these older painting companies that haven't embraced this uh, professionalization. What can companies that are either new, they're they're newer and they're starting now, or that have been here for a long time, how do they adapt? What's their game plan for the next five to 10 years?
0: Yeah. So if you've been around for a long time, uh, you've been super spoiled. <laughs> I should say that the last 10 years, it's good been... to
1: know. It's good to recognize because otherwise ball, it's, just be the
0: ball, deep. it's super spoiled.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's been way. And, and, and this is like the, one of the biggest like, uh, complaints or cries is like, Oh, you know, we're, we're always undercut by the chucking of trucks and Mike, Mike on a bike and the stands mm-hmm. the ones. And, and like, that is a challenge in the industry, right? That is, that is a challenge, you know, a large portion of the industry doesn't understand how a job costs uh, has a business model that puts them out of business as soon as they find out what taxes are. Uh, and that can be a challenge, right? Um, so it's kind of like reconciling like, yes, that has been hard, but like it's a double-edged sword, right? Supply feels like it can only go up from here. And I'm always I'm always been of the mindset of there's not a labor um, shortage, there's an entrepreneurial shortage, right? So, less mm-hmm. painting companies, uh, they attract, they recruit, attract, uh, and then train their labor. Uh, they're not complaining that their network isn't coming to work for them, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the first problem that a painting company is go through into. So, it's a larger, larger craft industry. Um, but yeah, th- those are my So, if you've been established and it's just reconciling, it's been, it's been easier than it needs to be, uh, it's been easier than it should be, and it's going to be harder, right? And we've talked about kind of the three layers of professionalization and on the previous podcast, you need to really make sure you're treating your clients well, right? World-class. You can't just answer their call some of the time. You can't call them back some of the time. Uh, you can't like say, I'm going to give you a bid and then, you know, give bids like three-fourths of your estimates that you do. Uh, you're going to have to really get sharp on how you treat your clients uh, on, on all phases, right? second thing is that you really have to treat your employees well. And so you can't just say, come work for me. I'll, I'll, I'll pay you this much per hour and you're not going to have a job description. Your training plan is going to be osmosis by working next to me. And uh, there should be no intentionality or future or communication or camaraderie or like just, just every element of how you uh, craft good labor retention and, and optimize their talents. Uh, you're going to have to get sharper at that. All right. And the last element is do you actually have a business that works for the business model that's sophisticated and, and delivers a profit outside of the wages of those will are driving you the day-to-day. Right, you yeah. know, and that like works when it's like a boom economy uh, or like a super boom economy. We've had like the super COVID boom that we had over the last two or three years, where everyone's flush with cash. They don't have expenses; they're typically coming up through travel and, and entertainment. And so it's like a super boost charge that's coming through. Uh, you can just like get by. And it's like well, like it's it's so easy for me to get work because I'm charging lower than everybody else. Uh, it's now it's even easier. I'm booked out, and I don't have to like plan. I can treat my clients like terribly, and there's there's always another one. Uh, you know now you have to make sure that you are starting to charge appropriately because you're going to need those profits because everything's going to get squeezed a little bit tighter if you don't have that margin it's kind of like uh i don't know there's a million different metaphors in, around this but we use it as re- one metaphor we use in our company is relational equity uh you know, if you don't have relational equity with people and then you go into the, the roughness of a business uh, if you're on empty it'll, it'll tip you over right but if you have a little bit of margin you're gonna hit that down patch and you still survive um, so that's what i think if you're already established, so like you should do if you're coming in new, uh, I would just say have an open mind, open paradigm, first principles, of reasoning. Uh, you know, it's a fun place to, it's like the general human condition, it's a fun time to be alive because there's not much that's established and set in stone that doesn't need to be revisited, right? And that's just like the time that we're in as a species. Like everything is like ripe and out op- and ready to be optimized and iterated. Uh, painting companies would be no exception to that. So if you're like thinking like, gosh, it's kind of odd that we do it this way, it probably is odd. And don't be afraid to adapt try something new because uh, the wisdom of all it's like it's kind of like the system effect uh I, I plan i hope someday someone will let me talk about this but there's keyboards right keyboards were designed in a way to solve problems that we no longer uh deal with right and so like you have keyboards in order a certain way so the type the, the mechanical uh, triggers don't jam when they do that thing now with electronic keyboards there's no jamming but we still have this design to solve the problem jamming right painting companies were very intelligently designed 10, 20 years ago, right? The way the yeah. companies operate made, made a ton of sense for the environment of, of that time. The environment has changed so much over the last 10, 20 years uh, that they're no longer solving problems that are, that are kind of in the marketplace or in that environment mm-hmm. anymore. So if you're someone that's new to coming in, that's coming in, I would say, you know, expect to be sharp, expect to be on the on game. Um, don't be afraid to try different things. You know, your idea might be the best idea. And, uh, and, and it's, yeah just how they it's an exciting place to
1: be. Yeah, no, I think that's powerful. I think when you're new, it can be intimidating. You know, these guys have been here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and and you feel like you don't really know what you're doing, but there's also a strength in that, in that you're evaluating everything, every process for the very first time. And so maybe you see something that doesn't really make sense, but because they've been doing it for 20 years, they're never going to look at it or question it. Yeah, their
0: success was largely driven by being in the right place, right time, right? If you started being a company last 10 years, right place, right time, congratulations to your success, more than likely. Yeah, had this, this extreme boost and you're like you've always operated in a tailwind, right? Ever since the 2008 recession was over, yeah. that only accentuated what was already becoming like more and more of an issue of the supply and demand gap. Yeah. You know, then supply really dropped down and it wasn't too long until demand shot back up. So you've been in this crazy tailwind of a company, of an environment as a company, right? So you've been very successful, but don't credit your success to the wrong things. I guess that'd be like the new people coming in and those are already established. Um, don't make your crediting crediting the wrong things for success, right? So you're coming in, you see this company, it's operating you're like, gosh, that looks wildly inefficient. Uh, their leadership style is not optimized the way that they're maximizing the talents of every individual in their, comfort, in their company is super sloppy, but they're successful. So it must be the way to do it. Like, no, yeah, the reason they're successful is largely because of where they've been and what they've done in an environment that made a lot of sense back then, right? Sure. The environment is different, right. And, and what they're doing now may not be the most optimized thing, but they're at the top. Right. So don't, don't, don't conflate that same thing. If you're on that side, it's like, gosh, we've always done it this way. We know, we are where we are because of how we've done things. And, uh, the way you were doing things was super optimized for the environment. you're at, Right. And that's where you're successful. It's not because of this specific tactic. We should always be reevaluating, uh, you know, what patches out there, uh, what nerf and buffs are running through, uh, the current environment and saying, what is going to be the optimal tactics, the optimal strategy, given where we operate today and the world is not static. There is isn't no new normal. It's always been a constant change. That's only been accentuate. That's only been uh, like increasing over the last yeah. five years. That's probably the way really the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think COVID kind of made change happen at a faster rate. Now it's just things are constantly changing, accelerating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think we have like a, a false paradigm that the world is stable. I mean, that's just because that's what we want. Uh, I don't know if that's Up a psy-op. I don't know if it's like a consumerism psyop of like, makes us more comfortable to, to spend money or what it is but um, yeah yeah the world has not been static for a long time uh if you just kind of step back and do a macro picture of things you know every decade there's like something something crazy that's going on but yeah comments, we like think about this is the exception not the rule um which isn't a bad way for like the human psyche to, to operate but it's just i wouldn't plan on, on running a business um, in a way that isn't every
1: I feel like you might know the answer to this question i have no idea but i just i feel like you might know it what how fast does the earth spin how fast does it rotating uh i think
0: i have no idea <clears> So first of all, i like, thought that like, might be second something thing would be like it's all relative right and so like uh this is like their time people who, who probably don't like me or really probably don't like me excited because, because of this saying, like, a bunch of weird things but like the earth like obviously moves fast right so I don't know if you what you said. It's the way that it uh, moves around the sun, or the way that it's rotating on its axis. But if we go like the way that how fast it's moving around the sun, like that's relative to what, right? So it's like you could be like on a ship. Like let's say you're on a ship that's moving 20 miles an hour, right? But you're running the opposite direction at 10 miles an hour. Yeah. Right. So relative to a stationary point, right? You're not you're not going that fast, right? You're not moving 10 miles an hour. You're also not going 20 miles an hour. You're like science, you know? Like science. Yeah. But anyways, it's gonna be all relative. That would be my answer. And so why yeah. you ask the
1: I asked the question because it it we look around and everything looks stable. It looks like we're in this spot, but when you when you recognize that the Earth itself is moving, and not only is that actually moving around the sun, that you're actually spinning while it moves. Um, you see, you know, there, this kind of idea of of a static environment is totally non-existent. It just, it's, but our perception, I look out the window right now and the tree's just sitting there. The telephone poles just sitting there. Everything looks like it's static, but at the same time, we're moving super fast. I just don't know how fast.
0: Yeah. There's kind of a loss of perspective. I would say of like time too. Like, well, what did that tree look like 20 years ago? Right. Was yeah. Like, 20 years ago, what kind of current was it running? What kind of data was streaming across it 20 years ago? Probably a lot different. Like sometimes we, we lose that perspective, perspective of decades and generations where it just feels like the world we're in has always been, right? Like, it's yeah. just so normal and... Uh,
1: Generalize or, or extrapolate
0: or whatever. Yeah, this, this world was like, what you're looking at is not as permanent as it may appear. Uh, and then, like, yeah, you get through the mind trip of, like, we're on this giant spaceship that's been terraformed and gone through space. And, like, you know, science is a great tool. Uh, it often just opens, up, opens us up to how much we don't know and, uh, yeah, how much we don't know about what's going on, you know, outside of space and all that Yeah. Space. Which is, it's just good. It's good to, uh, again, I think it's actually healthy for the human psyche to have some kind of grounding, obviously, uh, so not to be like freaked out all the time. Um, but I think that's what like uh, like psychedelic drugs will do sometimes is they like remove your grounding on what you believe is super stable and just reintroduce you to that concept of novelty of is, what, what if this isn't stable, right? What, what if that tree is not always there? You know, what did this, what did this area that your offices looked like 30 years ago? What do you think will look? What do you think will look like thirty years from now? Um, a lot of times we just we have this like false sense of permanence and false sense of security. It's uh, probably healthy for us. It's probably. And really, again, I don't know if it's like the human condition or if it's a giant psyop uh, by capitalism, but it's certainly something that I think we all share. That's that's going to be challenged.
1: You're going to become a Sharma and lead a uh, like a PCA retreat out into the desert with a lot of psychedelic drugs.
0: <laughs> well, revamp. I'm, I'm actually not, I've had, I've had good discussions with people about psychedelics. I personally haven't gotten into that realm. Uh, I'm not super opposed to it, but I have uh, some arguments that I need to fully flesh out, but I'm, I think I'm against it. I am a big fan of meditation, right? And so I've, I've, I've fasted, I've done meditations, I've done uh, cold exposure, heat exposure. Uh, you know, those things, I think are very similar to when I've talked to people about some of the, the mental experiences they've achieved uh, uh, through, through synthetic means or through artificial means. Like a lot can be achieved. Maybe that's like the shamans of old, um, but I think they also were taking uh, consumables as well. So sure. yeah, I'm a big fan of just, uh, what do you call it? Whether we really call it flow or states of consciousness. Um, you know, so much of our, our day-to-day-to-day-to-day-to-day is just linear logical problem solving, which is super helpful in the day-to-day. Uh, but to take some space, whether it's once a day, once a week, once a quarter, uh, once a year, into uh, like an intentional altered states of state of consciousness, altered state of mind, I guess super healthy but
1: healthy as well. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of allow you to see things from a different perspective, break all your all your mental barriers, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, we have things pretty much locked in. I want to I want to kind of approach things from I guess a little bit of a different perspective. You know, there there's sort of a, a debate or or kind of seems like this natural um I don't know almost nat- natural naturally opposing forces or not really opposing forces. But one is really focused on the craft. So focused on the actual painting, the actual uh, the actual process of what you're delivering and really becoming obsessed with that, right? And becoming obsessed with being the best at that. I know we have um, some people in the PCA that really specialize in that, promote it, teach it, um, and and really promote being a craftsman. And then there's this other side that can seem uh, contradictory. Again, it doesn't have to be, but it can seem contradictory, which is really focused on the business. So it's focused on, all right, how does, how do you sell and market it? How do you make it scalable and how do you kind of make it, I guess, good enough to where the the customer's happy, um, but you're not, uh, you're not obsessed. You're not necessarily actually the best painter um, in that, that state or really even in that city, but you're good and, and you present a good, a good picture to the consumer. How do you kind of, what do you think about that dichotomy? And especially as more entrants come into the painting space.
0: Yeah, those, those people sound super obnoxious uh which
1: ones? which one sound obnoxious the business
0: the, the business person obviously the
1: business person is obnoxious okay, okay. everybody like there's
0: like a humble there's like a humility and like uh a, a general like for someone who's just focused on the craft and, and they're both that neither one is right or wrong i think the, the one critique i give to those individuals that are focused on the craft is they're not charging enough and okay. i just, in, in like 99.99 right mm-hmm. people i've talked to that are like craftsmanship focused and if you're going to focus on the craft it's like you're not going to scale a company off of that uh, but you can increase your hourly rate a lot. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, it's always an odd scenario when I'm like, Paris painting is charging more per hour than like someone who's, for the last 30 years of their life, they're like testing out what type of brush works with this and that. It's perfected and it. They're like licking the wood before they like scrape <laughs> it so that it gets the right moisture. I don't know. Like there's all yeah. these crazy things. I'm like, it's kind of odd that you're not, that Paris painting is charging more per hour. Right? Sure. Like, and it's like, if I'm you, that's like a hyper specialized skill that people are gonna pay a lot for. And so that's the one critique I'd have because they're just different, right? And they
1: should probably be hitting that that top of that top, you know, the people As who I mean, it's hard to it's hard to, I mean, talking
0: about like niches versus versus general service, right? So if you niche down yeah. like, hyper specialized of like, you know, every person on our team, there's four people, they each have a story of how they've grown up and, and sleep with their paintbrush, I'm like people are gonna pay a lot of money for that. Yeah, right? you can't scale a company to stability and scalability uh off of that model right because those are, those are just hyper unique individuals um at the same time uh you can't offer a, a large general service and charge a premium premium, premium dollar right there, there's there's actually a pretty high ceiling of what you can charge uh that's largely like like have not done a great job of testing that market uh, you can also charge quite a bit for the convenience right so if you're able to offer a service based on a quick timeline right oftentimes mm-hmm. you can charge a high premium for that uh, because you've been able to build out your economies of scale now you have that infrastructure to offer that service so you have like the service of like the craftsman orientatedness yep. you also have the service that a large entity offers right uh, one of the one of the, would be scheduling potential scheduling opportunities it's
1: convenience basically
0: but I would say if uh, you know, either one is right or wrong they're just different yeah and, and, and I would just say the second one sounds more obnoxious
1: the second one sounds more you have to be careful or right? if you're like if you're yeah. coming
0: to the painting industry and like, you're like I'm just going to focus on the business side you know that can be like it sounds like you're talking down to people, right? Sure. That's why I'm always trying to be careful. Because, it's like, well, it's not like everybody doesn't know how to do things. Sure. Um, you don't have to be so obnoxious. Maybe that's what I sound like a lot of times. Sure. So
1: I think um, I think most of the people who are listening to this podcast are are focused at least on growing their businesses, right, in some capacity. So if they were focused purely on the craft, they probably are not a listener of this. So let's say someone's kind of newer to this space and and they're really a a business person coming into the painting space. How would you, how do they quality control? You know, if their mind really is on that business, on that, on that business mindset, how do they, while they're growing, while they're kind of building their infrastructure, while they're they're a process oriented person, they're using all the software and technology you talked about, you know, they are getting educated through the PCA and the Facebook groups and everything like that. How do they also ensure that their quality, especially while scaling, you know, while, while growing fast, how do they make sure their quality doesn't become subpar?
0: Yeah. I think a little bit starts like, what is your end goal? What do you want to do? So if you want to make as much money as you can over the next five years, that's not as big of an issue just to call Spain, Spain, right? Uh, if you, you just
1: got, hard. just got the market, just run through it and don't care. As cash as you
0: possibly can over the next five years, you know, just you do. And then,
1: and then head to Mexico.
0: Go hard. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'd say there's like, there's two challenges with that. So there's like two, two reasons why I think what you're saying is a good question. One, as you scale a company over time, uh, your brand equity becomes extremely valuable, right? So, yeah. Yeah. how well can you get repeat referral business? That's going to have a big, pretty big impact to your bottom line year over year. Uh, it also is going to affect the stability of your company long call what one yeah. of the uh, obviously one of the main lines that we say at all holdings that I must be performing of is, you know, who cares about the cash? Uh, what I'm really interested in is stable passive income. And so like the cash for one year, it's like whatever, that was fun. Uh, what's really about what really has high value in a painting company is how stable and consistent are those products going to be for the next decades. Right? So to have that, you obviously have to have a, a high high level brand equity. Um, I mean I could get into all the tactical, practical. Uh, some one, one way that would probably be um, maybe like a novel concept for some of your listeners would be having individuals that are specifically hired to work against the interests of others in the company. Um so everyone should be rowing in the same direction philosophically because they should all have some part of their compensation tied to uh, margin, right? On unlike the senior management side, you call it you do net profit. Most people can't control that, so you are tied yeah. into margin. Um, the second thing you would have them tied into is net promoter score or basically client satisfaction in the term. Yeah, uh, but oftentimes even those you know bonuses can, can be weighted in certain ways where you know, it what, what so it's in the best interest of an individual might be against the best interest of the company. Right? They say, well, I'm willing to forego my net promoter score bonus because you know, if I run 20 crews instead of 14 crews, uh, I'm not going to get my net promoter score, but I'll get this much more bonus on the margin. Right? Yeah. It's higher individuals that are like client care or customer service that work against the interests of those individuals. And so uh, this is one practical one is we have an escalation process at like Paris painting where someone calls in or we, or we get uh, we're, we're very, uh, I don't know, we're like spies or Big brother in our company. So if we if we catch wind of some intercommunication that's happening between a PM, a sales rep, a coordinator, and client that um, like shows frustration as we call it, um, that can get escalated. Once it's escalated, it's out of that PM's hands, uh, out of that sales rep's hands, out of that coordinator's hands, and it's now in the hands of the client service rep, who's going to do whatever is necessary to make that a positive experience for the client, right? Even to the detriment of those individuals, right? Even to the de- detriment of the company's bottom line, right? They're kind of all operating as like an owner's rep. So typically, this yep. is a role that an owner or founder would play. They're gonna step in and say, like, "Hey, you know, we're gonna forego some some short-term profits for long-term brand equity here."
1: And you've given them leeway to basically what they're able to do.
0: Yep, yep, yeah. They're yeah, they have that control. And obviously, within GAPS, there's different layers of management, uh, approval gates, as you would call it. But um, like in Paris Painting, I'm an absentee owner, so there's nothing that I'm involved in the day-to-day on. But I still want my desires represented. And so you hire these kind of owners reps uh, or client care service people uh, yeah. have your best to have the long-term brand that need, uh, at heart because your team is awesome, right? Every company is a family, as you would say. Uh, but, you know, if, if individuals have a chance to make more money uh, for their job over the next three years, so like over the next three years, we have the opportunity to make 20% more income. You know, most humans are going to take that. Uh, very few people are going to say like, yeah, we could all make 20% more profits for the next three years, uh, but that could really bite us 10 years from now. Uh, thinking long-term, especially if they don't have an equity stake in the company. Sure. So you want those, those interests represented within the company. How do you architect that? How do you set up those structures? It's going to be different on every single side, but uh, customer surveys help. But ultimately, we found what's really helpful is having someone with the with the, big, the big stick, the big bat then can come in just just say, uh, I'm in control now, representing the owner, and you guys screwed up, uh, I wouldn't make it painful.
1: Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Cause otherwise you can end up like, let's, let's use the, like, like an estimator sales, sales role as an example, they could overpromise, right. To close a the deal, they could overpromise, they could offer, offer things or a service that really don't fit. Uh, and then you come in and your production manager really isn't able to meet that. Um, and then now you have a dissatisfied customer, but the sales, the salesperson, the estimator might not really care because they're on this kind of short term, you know, next year, two years, how much can they make? But now in the, in the process, they're Here kind of killing your brand equity.
0: Yeah, even their compensation structure. So let's say you pay them a percentage of you know revenue that they sell. Uh, it's it's actually really easy to sell work uh, when you promise a lot and charge charge a little. Yeah, right? yeah, it's I'm, cool. uh, I'm going to a lot. i charge you a little amount, and I'm going to sell a lot of that. Right? We're yeah. taking skill. Right? The skill of sales is I'm going to promise you very little. I'm going to charge you a lot for that. Right? That yeah. that's the skill of sales. Uh, the other one's like. Giving stuff away. And so if you can compensate someone on the revenue, right? They're gonna feel it when they can't charge as much, but maybe their success ratio is higher. And so they're actually selling more per appointment or per of effort that they feel, or, or just they don't have to hold conflict. Or oftentimes clients will like say something and they'll just let it slide as opposed to digging. It's like, well, hold on, when you say that you are expecting this, what does that mean to you? Right? That that's a skill of sales to really dive into those unspoken, nuanced expectations and draw them out and get super clear. That's a, that's a, that's like conflict sometimes, right? Sure. Skill somebody up in that is is not easy. Um, but yeah, but if you, if you compensate them, the way we compensate all of our sales reps are cost on margin, cost on margin, right? And so yeah. we have a threshold that they need to be at, uh, compared to the margin of a job. So just for like easy numbers, let's say, uh, take all the margin of the job and the sales rep has to be less than, let's just say 20% of that. Right. So say a job that made a hundred dollars. It's like, well, sales rep, we have to pay you twenty dollars or less for that hundred dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're out there making wild promises, guess what happens to the margin of that job? It's likely going to go down, right? Yeah. clients typically don't uh, pay more; they pay less. Uh, if 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 that owner's rep, that customer service person gets involved, uh, that's like they're just coming with the hammer, just snacking with the margins of the job, right? they're just hacking away at it. Um, you know, if the labor is like giving a curveball, they're typically like. More open to negotiating hard with the pm right you have like un, unexpected change orders on a job site uh labor's not like oh I'll, I'll take less money for this unknown thing that i have leveraged sure. over, on right so that's like there's ways to um, just architect things in a healthy way or architect things in a way where everybody's going to go in the same boat uh that'd be one example
1: yeah yeah i love that man well um i appreciate this this has this has been incredible do you have anything else to add. We have two more episodes coming up. But anything else to add specifically tied to, you know, the influx of new talent uh, into the industry, the idea of the wild west getting settled here, and how painting companies can adapt to thrive in the coming years?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll say this is kind of dovetail into the next episode. So uh, I think one thing that's going to really drive top level talents and influx of problem solvers and top level entrepreneurs in this industry uh, is the harvesting of their equity, right? And so most people are not getting into painting to build a business and then either partner with the company or cash out uh, or, or get in place a management team that can make, allow them to become passive. Most people get into painting. Uh, it's often found, not sought, uh, but but they did get into it. This is a nice lifestyle business, right? To so make as much money as you can with working as least small as you can uh, to compensate you for your role, whether it's president, visionary, whatever it may be. Uh, but that concept of uh, being able to harvest the inherent value of equity in painting companies I think is a paradigm shifter uh, for most of the industry. And I think that's gonna draw top level talent in. And so uh, I just wanna acknowledge, cause this will be a nice time capsule in 2022, the equity of painting companies is not a major driver uh, for how people operate, much less what drives people into the industry. And that's not gonna be the case five, ten 10 years from now. Uh, people are gonna be like, okay, this is something that should be top of mind. It should be something that is, uh, both, both, a driver of talent, but also affects how they navigate the business once it's up and running. Um, I think that will honestly be the biggest shift, right? Because then you start to get uh, the capitalists right, into the game, and capital is always like trying to like seek and find, and like it's like this, uh, it's like this like manic uh, desire to get a return on capital, right? It's just it's kind of what makes the, the world go around uh, at a speed that's unknown to to us. Yeah. both obviously. Um, but the, the fact that painting companies can be that—they're I mean, solid investments. Uh, they can get good cash-on-cash cash returns. They, they can, can build real stable equity value. Uh, <clears throat> that's a that's a paradigm shift that is going to really uh, turbo turbo boost the industry. Companies mm-hmm. are going to get a lot more professional. Uh, it's going to happen quickly, and it's going to be more competitive. But we're all going to like it. We're all going to appreciate it, right? And it's just it's just acknowledging what's coming out. Uh, this has happened every industry is is professionalized, call it farming, call it brewery. Uh the actually the financial services are pretty similar. I don't know if we talked about that in the last episode, but one of the guys in the office, uh he 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 was telling me how the financial services used to be the Wild West. Yeah. uh, 15 years ago. And now it's much more, much more normalized. But yeah, that's kind of what I'll leave us with is just a plug for the next episode. We're gonna talk about uh I think building company to sell, uh starting with the end in mind, uh whether it's on taking on a minority partner, a majority operator, complete sellout or placing in a management team that allows you to get passive, uh, how you harvest that ongoing equity of the company through stable passive income.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited for the next episode. Well, Jason, thank you for your time, man. This was incredible as always.
0: A plus work. Thanks, Brandon.
1: Appreciate it, man. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing!